All right, students, today we're going to conclude the Iliad, book 24 of Homer's Iliad, Lattimore translation. So yesterday, we talked about the fall of Hector. We saw Hector witness Achilles, and well, actually, I should, I should ask beforehand, uh, Hector in, encountered one of the most embarrassing moments that a son can possibly have uh, because of his mother. What is it that his mother did above the gates of Troy with all the Trojans uh, um, strewing inside of, uh, or construing themselves inside of the gates? What is it that she did while yelling at him that if ever she gave him a mother's milk, he should come back into Troy and not stand alone against Achilles? Does anybody recall this? Who wants to tell me? All right, I'll, I'll recall it myself. She, I believe, took her breasts out of her tunic, held it out in her hand to display in front of her son and said, if this ever fed you, listen to me now. Did Hector listen to her, though? No, and even though his father said this man is far stronger than you are and he will feed you to the dogs if he defeats you, Hector still fought against him. But not before Hector, and this often changes our perceptions of Hector a little bit. The moment he sees Achilles charging towards him, it is like he sees death or fate itself charging towards him. He runs. He flees. He runs uh, around the city three times. And I, I told you that I didn't know where the quote was yesterday, and it's unfortunate because I did read it to the last uh, class. I'm going to read two quotes from there now. The first quote is about the dream that I mentioned, and the second quote will be what Achilles said to Hector before they fought. Yes? You put uh, my late party strip where that quote was. Yes, I did. But then I gave you the late party strip. So, 199. This is a description of Achilles running and trying to catch Hector, and of Hector running and trying to escape Achilles. And you might understand that they are both tethered together by fate in this. As in a dream, a man is not able to follow one who runs from him. So somebody runs from you and gets away. Nor can the runner escape, so he doesn't get away. Nor the other pursue him, so he could not run him down in his speed, nor the other get clear. How then could Hector have escaped the death spirits? Had not Apollo for this last and other most time stood by him close and driven strength into him and made his knees light. And so that is a beautiful simile of Achilles striving to kill Hector and not being able to get close enough because of the power of a god, and Hector striving to escape Achilles, but even with the help of a god, he cannot get away from him. And the next quote was, Recall that Hector tried to make terms with Achilles before their fight. Achilles cruelly responds, and I want you to remember this for all time. 261. Hector, this is book 22, argue me no agreements, I cannot forgive you. As there are no trustworthy oaths between men and lions, no wolves and lambs have spirit that can be brought to agreement, but forever these hold feelings of hate for each other. So there can be no love between you and me, nor shall there be oaths between us. But one or the other must fall before them to glut with his blood Ares the god who fights under the shield's guard. Remember every valor of yours, for now the need comes hardest upon you to be a spearman and a bold warrior. There shall be no more escape for you. But Pallas Athena will kill you soon by my spear. You will pay in a lump for all those sorrows of my companions you killed in your spear's fury. Ooh. Those quotes I should have read to you yesterday. I am happy to have read them to you today. So, our final lecture, the grand finale, Priam and Achilles meet.
For 12 days, Achilleus tries to abuse Hector's body. Wakes up in the middle of the night. He can't sleep. He's not eating regularly. He's not recognizing his own uh, mortality or humanity. He's acting in an inhuman way, not making agreements with Hector. Acting in a sacrilegious, egregious, catastrophic way. Not even the gods approve. Not even one god approves of how Achilleus is acting. And in fact, the gods are so upset by what it is he's doing that they constantly ask the thief god, Hermes, to go steal the body of Hector just to put things right again. But who is it ultimately that is going to be responsible for putting things right, for putting himself right, for getting back into the right mindset before he dies? Achilleus. Before he dies, he must put things right. And so, the gods debate over what to do. And finally, who makes the decisions for the gods? The great king? Zeus, king of the gods. He makes a decision, and this is his decision. He summons Thetis, he says. Because Thetis, recall, is the one who is defending Hector's body, keeping other gods from coming to steal it. She, she is summoned to Zeus, and Zeus says, that's enough. Let's put an end to this. Achilles needs to give the body away. We're going to send Priam to him. He's going to give him a kingly ransom, and Achilles is going to accept it. Which means Achilles is finally going to have to accept what? That Patroclus is gone. That Patroclus is gone. He's going to have to accept reality. He's going to have to accept recompense. Finally, he is going to have to accept the second part of the bargain. In the same way that he did not accept gifts from Agamemnon in Book 9, in the same way that he did not accept gifts from Agamemnon when he returned to the fight, now he will finally have to accept uh, the second... He will finally accept gifts to return something to someone else. You might consider this a metaphor for he has to accept that in order to have a glorious life, he must also what? Of course. If you have any life, you must accept that this will happen. That you, have, that you will die. That's right. That's right. That's the second half of the coin. The coin. The coin. The coin for his life. And for all of us. And so Zeus summons Thetis to Olympus, orders her to speak to Achilleus about ransoming Hector to convey him the dis or to convey to him the displeasure of the gods. Thetis does this, and, and Achilleus suddenly agrees, but only because the Olympian orders him to. He says, "If this is the will of the Olympian, so be it." He's very laconic there, short, short in his words. All right. Zeus then sends Iris to Priam. He's continuing to orchestrate this situation. Priam must go in person to Achilleus to get his son Hector. This is an extraordinary thing because, A, who would not even go to Achilleus to ransom or to give uh, him gifts in order to get him back onto his, into his battle even though he was on his side? Agamemnon. Agamemnon wouldn't even go talk to Achilleus when Achilleus was mad at him, and they were on the same side. How much more terrifying to go see Achilles if you're his enemy. How much more terrifying if you're his enemy and if he kills you, he wins. And therefore, in some way, potentially wins eternal glory. Though I don't know that killing Priam at night would necessarily win him very much glory. Perhaps not, perhaps not. And we will see some mention of the fact that kills at night do not get you much glory. In Ovid's Metamorphoses, when we, when we talk about the contest at arms, or for the arms, between Aias the Greater and Odysseus. In any case, Priam has to go out to his enemy's camp to see the man who killed his son. In fact, he'll have to kiss his hands. 
And when he does kiss his hands, he'll say, I've done what no man has ever done or should ever have to do. Kiss the hands of his son's slayer and his favorite son at that. Though, though we hear that Polydorus is the favorite son because he's the youngest, obviously Hector is the favorite son. He is the one who is going to be king. He is the one whose son is supposed to be king. He is the favorite son. And in fact, uh, I didn't read this to you, but um, when Priam, we find him on the ground with dirt being smeared on his face as well as dung, animal dung, he will yell out at his Romanian sons, including Deiphobos and Priam, you failures, get out of my sight. He's disgusted by them. He suggests that all his favorite sons, what has happened to them? They've been killed because they were honorable and they were strong, unlike these men who are remaining, who have stayed out of the fray of the battle. Wow. And so in any case, Priam says that he has to go out and get his son. His wife, understandably enough, Hecabe, who says uh, that's crazy. She protests. And, but then she says, Priam, at least pour a libation and pray to Zeus before starting out. That will give you the best guarantee of success. Pray to Zeus. Uh, if anything can help you, that will help you. And he obeys. Zeus then signals acceptance of the prayer with a bird sign. Things look good. The mortals get a sign that they are following the will of the divine, which means the best possible outcome that could occur will probably occur if you continue to follow these signs. Good. All right. We go out onto the Trojan plain. It's night. I believe it is, though I would have to check this. Perhaps one of you can tell me. Is it not one of the heralds? of the Trojans that rides with Priam? I think it is Idaios who does. But I'll have to look into that. In any case, Priam goes out into the night accompanied by, a, I believe, a herald, not, not by one of his advisors like Antinor. And now, a very interesting idea about this scene is that many commentators have suggested that this descent onto the dark Trojan plain and across the river Xanthos and through the heavy gate of the Achaean wall and into a den where a dead body is being held by a pitiless man is a symbolic retell or retelling of a descent into the underworld. Let me describe that symbolically. You descend like from a castle down into the land, from a land of light into a land of darkness. You cross a river. The river is called the River Styx, uh, though it will be Acheron at first in uh, Dante's Inferno. You cross that river, you go through a gate. It happens to be Dante's gate. It says, abandon all hope ye who enter. After you go through that gate, you meet a guardian, often uh, Cerberus or something of the like. And then you potentially can meet Hades, who is considered a pitiless god, because who does he let off the hook? No one. No one. No, one. no exceptions. That's right. Absolutely. Very good. And so it's like Priam is going down into hell to get his son. But it's even more like, I would say, a hell than the concept of hell. Because is he bringing back his living son to be with him and to be happy? Or is he just going back to get his dead son so he can give him an appropriate funeral and still mourn him? He's just getting his dead son back. So Priam goes out by night. He will also, ah, yes, I didn't mention this part. Hermes will be sent down to guide him in the guise of a Myrmidon, one of Achilleus' men. 
And so the fact that he is guided by a spirit, such guiding spirits like the ones you see in A Christmas Carol uh, with Scrooge are called psychopomps. It literally means sender of souls, pimpane and uh, psycho. Psycho comes from suke, which means soul or spirit in Greek. Very good. So Priam goes out at night. He is guided by Hermes in the form of a Myrmidon uh, across the river Xanthos and through an immovable gate. The immovable gate uh, will take 10 men to open, or one Achilles. Suggesting the Achilles is about 10 men strong, yes. Is that supposed to mean that a psychopath are those that have no soul? Psychopath, path, pathos means pain. Oh. Uh, and the word pathology in the medical field means disorder of. So it is like a disorder of the soul. And psycho, now in psychology, doesn't mean soul so much as it means mind. So disorder of the mind, and the disorder seems to be that you do not feel appropriate emotions. So you can do, and think about that. What keeps you doing the right thing most of the time? How you feel? Like you're doing something wrong, it feels really bad, you keep doing it or stop doing it? Stop. Stop. The idea with psychopaths is that they don't have that same feeling. So what do they not do? They don't stop, and so this, since they don't necessarily feel the same pain that you feel, what are they more than willing to cause to you because they don't understand its effect? Pain. That's right. That's right. And that's the idea. And you might apply that idea to Achilles right now. If he only understood the pain that he was causing to his own friends and to his foes, perhaps, perhaps he would live differently. Perhaps he would make a different choice. Perhaps at least he would conduct himself differently when it comes to Hector's body. Yes? Was it 10 or 12 men that I thought it was 10, but you can look that up and prove me wrong if you want to. In any case, let's keep moving. Priam has now made it across the Trojan's plain, across the dark night, across the dark river Xanthos, through the gate of the Achaeans, past their ditch, and is now prepared to go into the tent of Achilles who you might consider Satan himself as far as Priam is concerned. Because what has Achilles taken from Priam? Everything. Everything that he loves? Sure, perfect. And so on their arrival, Hermes reveals himself and departs. And after reassuring Priam that Hector's body is still unblemished, Priam enters the tent of Achilles. And the moment they see each other, they regard each other with admiration. Admiration, supposedly, because they're both at the top of the dominance hierarchy in their specific hierarchies. In fact, we, we've done some studies, and we know that um, uh, macaw monkeys will stare at high-status uh, macaws longer than low-status ones. And Achilles, is he a high-status Achaean? Amongst the top, if not the top, perhaps Agamemnon above him. Priam, king of Troy, is he a high-status Trojan? Yeah, you see these people, you gaze at them. They are a spectacle, and both of them mutually admire each other, suggesting that they're both what? They are both admired, they're both whatable. Admirable. They're both admirable. They're, they have similarities. So they're not totally different. So the very first scene, we see that something very powerful connects them together, and we'll actually see that they... Their tragedies and their sufferings connect them together in an even deeper way. And so Priam enters and supplicates Achilles, strongly reminding him of his own, not one, beloved father Peleus. When he pathetically, Priam, kisses the hands of Achilles, Achilles thinks of his own father pathetically being 
dethroned by young, strong men and knows that he will never see his father again and he will not help defend his father and he will not be a comfort to his father in his old age. And so he knows in seeing Priam weep for his son Hector, what exactly how his own father must feel with him gone and never going to return. And so they both weep, seeing themselves in each other, seeing identity with their own enemies, knowing something that perhaps had they known it before the war would have prevented the war itself, and perhaps is what all people who commit fights or war realize at the end of it. That always when it comes to human, is there more in common between you and your enemy or more different? Always more in common. You are humans. You share the capacity to suffer and to make others suffer. What we see in Achilles, who has been acting so we thought delusionally and psychopathically, do here is realize the weight and the effect of his actions and to break down into tears. It is a moment of ultimate recognition of the value of his life. And also, it is an ultimate recognition of what he is, which is certainly not a god, but definitely a what? A human and thus a creature capable of sparing other people's suffering and of causing suffering. And which has Achilles chosen? Which gate has he gone through? Which path has he taken? The path of causing ultimate suffering. And so he must also endure ultimate suffering. It's perhaps you might say that he cries also here, which he realizes, though it's not said, his hand in the death of the person for whom he cries. Patroclus, because he cries not only for his dead father, but also for his dead best friend. And though I don't lecture on it here, there is a beautiful funeral scene with Patroclus in Book 23, with funeral games afterwards. And um, Patroclus does show up as a ghost, and he asks Achilles that their bones be mixed in the same urn after they die, which there is some suggestion that the relationship is perhaps even closer than a normal relationship there. And there is some comment on whether they loved each other not only as friends but also as something more something for you to think about if you ever read 23 in any case what you can be sure of is that they really did care about each other regardless of what goes beyond that and so Achilles replies to Priam's speech voicing admiration for his courage and coming and painting a famous picture of the inconstancy of mortal happiness he gives a metaphor of Zeus, and this will be very interesting to connect with your Odyssey reading in a couple days. Because one of the last things you read in the Iliad is that um, Zeus has two urns, one of happiness and unhappiness for man, and that he gives out unequal portions of them. The idea being that you probably suffer a lot more than you uh, have happy times during life, which is potentially true, which would suggest that meaning rather than happiness is the most important aspect of life. But also we'll see at the beginning of the Odyssey that Zeus will say, the mortals always blame us for their sufferings, but they cause many undue sufferings to themselves through their own conscious decisions, through their own foolish decisions. And so we might here wonder whether it is Zeus who has caused the suffering for Achilles or whether it is who who has caused the suffering for Achilles. Himself, of course. Achilles then orders his servants to clean and wrap the body for moving, but to keep it out of Priam's sight. 
he agrees to give the body back to Priam. This seems to show that he is feeling some compassion for Priam, which means that he is acting like a human again, finally. Which means that this book is ending with a recognition of one's own humanity, which means that it is supposed to leave you with a recognition of your own humanity. Right. Achilles then apologizes to Patroclus for breaking his promise and allowing Hector to be buried. He had made a promise in anger that he would give uh, Hector over to the dogs to be eaten, though Patroclus would be buried. But he recognizes that that was an evil promise to make with Priam in front of him and the effect of his actions now displayed before him. Achilles realizes that is not what he would want to do. That is not even what Patroclus would want him to do. He tells Priam then a story of Niobe, which is essentially the story of Priam, right? Um, Niobe is a woman who had everything. In this account, she had 12 children. In Ovid, she had 14. She bragged that she had more children than Leto, the mother of Apollo and Artemis. So Leto had Apollo go kill her seven sons, and Artemis go kill her seven daughters. Her father or her husband then committed suicide, and then she turned into a rock face that forever had a waterfall coming out of her eyes from tears, suggesting that though at one time as a human you can have everything, what can you then have at another time nothing you can have it all taken away and that does seem to be again an aspect of human life you can be the great king of the largest people in asia at the time and then you can find yourself lowly like a servant kissing the hands of your favorite son's killer you can be brought high and low in this world and so priam then goes to sleep outside of achilles's shelters Achilles allows him to sleep for a small amount of time, but not in the shelter, just in case one of the Achaean heralds comes. And uh, if one of them were to come in the middle of the night to seek strategic advice from Achilles and saw Priam there, what would Achilles have to do? Kill him or capture him? And he doesn't want to do that. He's trying to be a good guy. For the first time, all book. Hermes then awakens Priam and says, What are you doing here? Sleeping in the Achaean camp? You better get out of here right now with this body. And so, I don't have a lot of time to go through this, just two minutes. So I'm just going to mention this. And anything I miss, I'll bring uh, to bear in the lectures for after the Odyssey. Priam re-enters the gates. His daughter Cassandra sees him. Something interesting about Cassandra is that she has been cursed by Apollo for um, rebuffing his advances, his romantic advances. To be able to predict the future accurately, but have no one believe her. In fact, she will figure very prominently in the demise of Agamemnon. And we will talk about that very soon. The text concludes with the three women who love, home, or who love Hector, who saw him in book six for the last time, mourning over his body. The first is his wife. And she again talks about their son, Astyanax, and how his life will forever be worse not having his father. The second is Hecuba, his mother, who asserts that Hector was her favorite son. And so now she has had, like Niobe, to witness that which was most important to her taken away from her in life. And perhaps also that's true of Andromache, who has lost her father, her mother, and all her brothers recently, and has now lost Hector and will soon lose a CNX. Perhaps in losing Hector, she lost her future. Perhaps all Trojans lost their future when they lost Hector, the great protector of Troy. And then Helen, she's lost her only friend, the only person ever to be kind to her because everyone hates her because she brought war and destruction to Troy. 
has been Hector. He was so many good things to so many good people. And Achilles is the reason that he's gone forever. So concludes the Iliad.